Hey, just really quick before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I'm running a limited edition plush with Makeship, and this time it's Casper. So if you want to grab your own Casper plush, make sure you get him before he's gone. There's only like 19 days left. It is a limited run and he's not coming back. Make sure you go to makeship.com slash products slash Casper dash longboy dash plush, or just click the link in the description box. Tis the season. It's time again for Mariah Carey to once again pop into your dreams or nightmares as the Queen of Christmas, decorations to fill the streets, and of course, Salvation Army volunteers to meet you outside of any and all shopping centers ringing their little bells. Then of course, guilt tripping you with the empty stairs if you don't donate to them, of course. It's a tradition of the season that all of us have come to know far too well. But behind those smiling volunteers garbed in reindeer antlers, Santa hats, and red t-shirts is a charity that has committed so many horrible infractions that it's almost impossible to keep track. While they claim to be for everyone and hope to spread the word of their religion and hope in general to the masses, their actions never seem to exactly match up to that. From discriminating against LGBTQ folks looking for help to their own employees, it seems their definition of everyone is just a little bit different than mine. Each new story gives donators pause and their seeming inability to use the donations that they do receive in a meaningful way doesn't leave people much hope either. In Canada, the Charity Intelligence Group gives them a C plus rating in results reporting for their demonstrated impact. For a charity that receives millions of dollars in funding and utilizes roughly 85% of the dollar of each donation in their social programs, they seem to have little to show for it. Instead, what we're left with is unprovable outreach methods that seem to have little to no impact on the people they are meant to be helping. Considering the fact that the group has engaged in illegal and horrific labor exploitation in their drug rehabilitation centers and denied members of the LGBTQ community from utilizing their homeless shelters, this comes as little to no surprise. But the real question is, why are they able to continue? How is it that one of the biggest charities in the world seems to be lacking any type of proven track record, continues to pop up every season to even ask for more money? What is really going on behind those bells and little red buckets? The goal is to raise $750,000 this holiday season, but as WLKY's Jamie Mays explains, they need more bell ringers to help families who are struggling to make ends meet. Make noise, meet a lot of nice people, uh, help raise money for a great cause. Well, that's a part of our belief system. So we should die. We have an alignment to the scriptures, but that's our belief. Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're gonna be diving into one of the biggest charities in the world, famous for their little red buckets and enormous skeletons hanging in their closets, the Salvation Army. Now, a few of you may be familiar with the fact that I've actually covered the Salvation Army about two-ish years ago, but I think it's time for an update video. And again, to just put new information back out there. So buckle up because as per usual, this is gonna be a rough ride. We serve the most vulnerable regardless of age, race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. Our hearts, services, and facilities are open to all. That is what the charity claims on the very first page of the LGBTQ plus community section on its website. 
According to them, they're open to everyone, simply here to serve their community and make the world a better place. After all, isn't that the point of most charities? If you just look at the surface level of the Salvation Army, you'd actually be fairly inclined to believe those promises and probably every word of that mission statement. Now, they've been around since 1835. They've serviced over 100 countries and created a volunteer army that is virtually unmatched. As far as charities go, it sounds like they are the dream. They're like the best of the best. There's only one problem here. Their mission statement is a lie. They claim they're here to help everyone, but actions certainly speak louder than words. And the Salvation Army's actions are screaming that they're lying. Over the years, the charity has taken many actions, which prove that despite them serving what they claim to be millions of LGBTQ people, they did so begrudgingly with their hands tied behind their backs. In 1998, San Francisco came out with a new law that required any company doing business with the city to extend the same medical and retirement benefits to employees with domestic partners as they do for those in traditional marriages. That was it, just give people benefits. They weren't requiring companies to go out and marry people themselves or participate in the relationship in any way, just give their partner benefits. But to the Salvation Army, that was too big of an ask. So instead of adhering to the very simple ask by the city government, the charity decided to cut back all of its programs in the city limits. That amounted to the loss of over $3.5 million in contracts, layoffs of about 60 employees, and the shutdown of their Meals on Wheels and drug rehabilitation programs. And just like that, almost with a little you know, snap of the finger, that was a massive amount of people that lost resources they desperately relied on purely because the very people that promised to help anyone and everyone under the name of God decided that providing gay people with benefits was too much. When a spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Richard Love released a statement regarding the incident, he told the public, the partner's ordinance does conflict with our basic theological position, primarily the recognition of the traditional family. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't ripping away services from people that need it also go against the supposed theological position? Now, I'm someone who grew up actually quite Catholic, like very religious. I went to Catholic school and everything. And I was, you know, always trying to, you know, be good at something. So I tried to learn all about religion and be the best little altar girl ever. And if I remember correctly, which I believe I am, there should be a whole section about, you know, helping the poor, loving thy neighbor, you know, that, that kind of stuff, treat those as you would like to be treated. You know, that whole thing, the golden rule. We're just gonna forget that, I guess. The point I'm trying to make here is that people were inherently being punished because of their viewpoint and the Salvation Army didn't see anything wrong with that. They go, oh my God, giving people more benefits, allowing people to take care of their neighbors themselves, their family, like just because they're gay, that's bad. So we're gonna actually rip out all our services that help a whole host of other people, including employing 60 people. It's hilariously hypocritical and it's devastating because these were real folks that needed real help and they just wanted to stick their thumbs up their asses instead. And we're like, "Mm, well, no, we don't support the gays. So yeah, fuck all you pores. Like that's literally what that statement was. And now you might be thinking, but Blair, that was just one incident. Unfortunately, the San Francisco incident is far from the last time that they would put others in jeopardy in the name of their supposed viewpoints and beliefs. Just a few years later in 2001, the group did what any massive religious group does best and they lobbied the government to try to avoid ever having to face another ordinance similar to San Francisco. Point blank, as the Washington Post writes, The Bush administration is working with the nation's largest charity, the Salvation Army, to make it easier for government-funded religious groups to practice hiring discrimination against gay people. So yeah, 
let that statement sink in. For quite some time, the charity worked with the Bush administration to ensure that they did not actually have to follow the rules like the one in San Francisco, but also to ensure that they could avoid this issue entirely by just not hiring gay people ever. And that's incredibly charitable of them, right? In return for the special consideration paid to Salvation Army by the Bush administration to allow them to discriminate against people, they promised to use their supposed clout to push the administration's faith-based service plans. And what are those plans you might ask? Well, it involves asking the government to push more funding into more religious charities so that, you know, so that those charities could also discriminate against gay people. How wonderful, just marvelous, honestly. Now, while lobbying the government or bribing as I like to call it, the Salvation Army spent an astonishing $110,000 per month. And yes, let me repeat that, not a year, per month. Think of all the things that they could have been doing to actually help people with that much money, but instead they used it on lobbying. Luckily for us, their little evil plan didn't work out in their favor. The Bush administration actually ended up denying their request because after it had been announced in the media, people rightfully so reacted in shock, anger, and ultimately disgust. The vice president at the time reacted in a rather predictable manner when he also said he felt sympathy for the Salvation Army's perspective. Who would have ever guessed? And now fast forward about 10 years and the situation gets even worse. One June, a media relations specialist for the charity decided to appear on a talk show called Salt and Pepper. This man's name was Andrew Crabe and he helped run the media for the Australian branch of the organization. This was the exchange that happened. I haven't declared my sexuality to myself, so I'm not gonna declare it to you. If I go and I read that and I connect with my sexuality, Andrew, then that says, according to the Salvation Army, that I deserve death. How do you respond to that as part of your doctrine? Well, that's a part of our belief system. So we should die. We we have an alignment to the scriptures, but that's our belief. Wow, so we should die. So this is is on page page 28 of the Salvation Story, which you can download online. It's wonderfully available. I I don't think I really need to bring up just how disgusting this is for anyone to say but for the media relations director of a charity to proudly announce this to the world is terrifying. This is someone that has been trained specifically in the art of making their organization look good from a public facing perspective. They have been trained to make sure that anything they feel will hurt public image will be circumvented, twisted around, and then of course, hidden from the public. Clearly they didn't actually feel this was something that would hurt their image. Instead, they thought this was actually perfectly okay, a very normal and very acceptable thing to say even. If this is what they're saying to the public, it makes me wonder what was actually being said behind closed doors, because you know it's way nastier than this. Well, and don't worry about the wondering because a few years later, we found out when the internal documents were leaked for everybody to see. The memos dated February 21st, 2014, were released to the Salvation Army's offices in 11 states. The subject line read, LGBT issues in light of equality of marriage laws. The letter, which goes on for four pages, might I add, describes homosexual orientation as a matter of profound complexity and discusses the requirement for gay officers within the charity to remain celibate. While the talking points also found in the charity's internal memos instruct those members who speak to the public to consistently deny any allegations that the Salvation Army looks at homosexuality as a sin or discriminates against people, the memos seem to say the exact opposite. 
officers of the group were forbidden to exchange in any same-sex relationships. They couldn't marry any same-sex couples. And if someone wanted to attend a wedding of a same-sex couple, they had to be out of uniform. And if they broke any of those rules, they would be fired. As a quick aside, I always found it extremely odd that the Salvation Army literally structures itself in a military fashion with its own special version of dress blues and little rankings in the first place. Maybe I'm the only one on that. It, like, is it just me? I'm just saying it's weird. I can't, I can't quite wrap my finger on it, but something feels really wrong about it. But I digress. Going back to their actions, this certainly sounds like the same group that claims to hold no types of ill thinking towards a certain group of people, right? Like just everything they're doing, all these weird fantasiful rules. The talking points also suggest that the charity never turns people away regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. But of course, that's not true either. Just a few years before the memos were released, a man came forward to tell his story. He says, We slept on the street and they didn't help when we declined to break up at their insistence. When he and his boyfriend went to one of the charity's homeless shelters desperate for help, they were actually turned away. Of course, the Salvation Army claimed they would let them in, but only on the condition that they broke up and quote, left the sinful homosexual lifestyle behind. Six years later, they did it again. In 2017, the New York Commission on Human Rights charged four different rehab centers with discrimination. Each of them, run by the Salvation Army, of course, participated in multiple forms of discrimination against transgender folks who came to them for help. Sometimes they would downright refuse to let transgender people into their facilities. Other times they would choose to degrade and humiliate their transgender patients by performing unnecessary and invasive physical exams to determine if trans people are on hormone therapy or have had surgery. So yeah, I don't know if I really have words for that one, honestly. Simply put, it's it's fucking disgusting. It seems the charity has quite a long way to go before any aspect of its LGBTQ statement runs true. Sure, they might help some LGBTQ people, but they seem to do so begrudgingly, not with pride, but with disappointment that they can't legally turn them away. Just because you help some people doesn't mean you care. It just means you're doing the absolute bare minimum as a charity. The fact that the Salvation Army seems to be doing this all against their will just makes it so much worse. Sadly, the mistreatment, discrimination, and homophobic beliefs of one of the biggest charities in the world aren't the only thing wrong with them. Because of course, there is definitely so much more. And in fact, it's one of their worst features, cultivating a culture where child abuse thrives and is virtually ignored for decades. Now, normally I don't like to put my ad segments this soon into the episode. Like I think we're around like 12, 13 minutes, something like that. But I'm gonna let you know that the next section we are going to be discussing child abuse and it's like, it's bad. So I'm gonna go ahead and place the ads for today's episode right here. It's gonna give you a two to three minute buffer to think about it. Do I wanna continue and listen to what I'm about to hear or maybe do I wanna give it a pause? I'm putting it right here. And again, that's up to you. The segment will last about six to seven minutes-ish and then the next section will not be nearly as bad, but I'm putting this here as a very fair warning. And of course, thank you for today's sponsors who are sponsoring this episode so that I can make this content, speak about these kinds of horrific things and still be able to essentially pay my team. So I really do appreciate it. When you're buried in orders and emails from stressed customers, you're gonna wish you had ShipStation because ShipStation turns holiday ship storms into smooth sailing. So you can keep your customers happy and still find time to enjoy eggnog. ShipStation is super easy to get started with. And right now you can get a free 60 day trial. 
And the setup is super quick. I'm talking 15 to 30 minutes, like maybe if we're going crazy, it's super easy. So if you've been on the fence to try ShipStation, now is absolutely the time. And ShipStation works with all of your favorite places to sell online, including Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, and more. You can manage every order from one simple dashboard, automate routine shipping tasks, print shipping labels, and easily compare rates. And with enterprise solutions that make warehouse optimization easy, ShipStation scales when you do. So you'll save some time, money, and stress during this year's holiday rush. And when you sign up using my promo code, you'll get two months for free. So use promo code CASKET today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CASKET. The holiday season is absolutely upon us, which means it is chaos all around until we hit the new year. So when it comes to cooking in the kitchen, that can fall by the wayside too. Thankfully, that's where HelloFresh comes in. So as your calendar starts to fill up the season, you can count on HelloFresh to get you some of your free time back by making cooking simple, quick, and fun. Each recipe and pre-portioned ingredients come right to your door, so you can skip the grocery store and a lot of the prep too. And with over 35 weekly recipes, there's something to please everyone. Now, obviously I've raved very highly about the firecracker meatballs. However, I think they replaced it with the banh mi meatballs, which is like their new updated recipe of it. And let me tell you, it is as delicious, if not more delicious. And as the weather gets colder, the soup kick becomes much higher up and they have got some delicious coconut curry soup that you need to try if you have not. And they make it, I believe it's vegetarian or vegan or something because I believe you make it with coconut milk, which is also amazing. So if you're ready to make cooking around the holidays just a little bit easier, make sure you go to hellofresh.com casket70 and use code casket70 for 70% off plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com casket70 and use code casket70 for 70% off plus free shipping. Please be advised that this next section will discuss child abuse. If you're not in the right headspace to listen to that at the moment, feel free to skip to the next section of this episode. In 1998, a woman who used the pseudonym Lucy Taylor to protect her identity, went to the Salvation Army to report the abuse she had suffered at the hands of four high-ranking officers of the charity. Firstly, she went to the local chapter called the Citadel and then to the national headquarters in London. Despite her recounting of nearly eight years story of abuse to the charity, nothing was done and her complaints seemed to fall on deaf ears. She was born into a Salvation Army family and became a junior soldier when she was only five years old. By the time she was 16, she was a senior soldier singing in the band and centering her life around the church. She dreamed of one day becoming an officer and running her own church. But after suffering years of abuse, her dream never came to fruition. The men who abused her were her father figures, men she trusted and looked up to. But as the years went on, Taylor suffered in silence. All of her friends were in the church and she was scared people would accuse her of lying if she spoke the truth. She thought to herself, I want to carry on going to the Salvation Army. All my friends are there. If I do take it any further, am I going to be able to go back there? Eventually she did step forward only for pretty much one of the worst scenarios to happen. She was ignored. She would then go to the police station and tell her story and report the men. And again, she was met with disappointment. Two of the four men were arrested, but they were soon released. Taylor didn't give up, she kept going. It turned out it would actually take her over 20 years to finally get any justice. In 2015, Taylor called the NSPCC or the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children 
And soon her report detailing her years of abuse and the steps taken by the Salvation Army to deny her any assistance were passed to the independent inquiry. Taylor would soon and unfortunately learn that she was not alone. Operation Fervent, a special unit dedicated solely to responding to historical sexual abuse, reached out and suddenly everything changed. This time, the officers believed Taylor. After years of trying, it seemed like things were finally going to change. And in 2018, after months of painstaking testimonies and years of living through what had happened to her virtually alone, the four men that had abused Taylor as a child were found guilty. For Taylor, it was all over. But for the Salvation Army, this was just the beginning. The beginning of uncovering a culture that seemingly fostered or ignored the abuse of minors for decades. And it was worse than anyone could have guessed. The Royal Commission in Australia began an operation to uncover the history of covering abuse among four different Salvation Army homes in the country. This was actually a relatively small investigation considering there were 55 homes in total. It is very possible that the results of a wider investigation could have been even worse than what we're about to hear. The inquiry, which looked at the boys' homes from 1940 through 1980, found horrifying stories of abuse, coupled with threats to the children that considered speaking out. The stories from the boys are terrifying. Each person that came forward detailed regular and excessive physical punishment and psychological abuse. In the report, the homes were described as having a bear pit mentality. One boy was tied to a tree with a metal color and another was forced to eat his own vomit. Others came forward and recounted stories of being sexually abused by both the staff and other boys. And all the while, nothing was done. The commission found that the Salvation Army received as many as 100 claims of child sex abuse and quote, in most cases, the boys who reported the abuse were punished, disbelieved, accused of lying, or no action was taken. The abuse ran so rampant that many never reported it. One man told the commission that he had been abused over 200 times. Still, nothing was done. While the hearings took place, senior officials for the Salvation Army adamantly apologized and said they had no idea why the abuse was allowed to continue for so long. Still, they knew what had been going on far before the commission began its investigations, they just silenced it. From 1995 to 2014, they received over 418 claims for compensation from people that had suffered years of horrifying treatment at the hands of the church. And what did they do, you might ask? Well. They paid them off and kept on moving. That amounted to over $18 million in payouts in case you were wondering, by the way. Many people had their accusations simply swept under the rug. The Salvation Army seemed to use every loophole they could to avoid any type of accountability, often relying on the statute of limitations, technical defenses, and other things to determine if they needed to offer a settlement or if they could even be found liable. And for many of the victims, these settlements felt like an insult. They didn't want the money. They wanted their abusers to be held accountable for some sort of justice. But that was apparently out of the question until they were caught red-handed. Now, when you look up Salvation Army abuses in Australia, the Salvation Army website will pop up with an apology and a promise to do better. They acknowledge the failure, offer an unreserved apology, and ask that anyone with grievances contact them saying, quote, we will hear you. Considering their history, it seems hard to believe and a bit upsetting to see. Why now? Have they really changed or are they just trying to rebrand their image as an organization that takes abuse seriously? Truthfully, who knows? Unfortunately though, this is still not the end of the saga. Just three short years ago, the Salvation Army found itself in yet another child sexual abuse lawsuit when a woman named Nicole Sprout filed a case in New York against the organization, one of the commanders and his wife. 
When she was still a child, Nicole's mom introduced her to the Salvation Army after her father had left the family. Desperate for help, they reached out to the organization and offered their assistance. But with that came years of abuse from two high-ranking officials. When she was only 13 years old and after her mother signed paperwork making Nicole's abusers her official legal guardians, it got worse. Nearly 20 years later, the man actually contacted Nicole to apologize for abusing her and directly told her that he had reported himself to higher ranking officials in the Salvation Army. He self-reported, so it seems pretty plain and simple what the response should have been, turn him into the police. But no, the Salvation Army couldn't do the right thing. That would be insane. Instead, what they decided to do was simply remove him from the ministry and never ever report to authorities, which by the way, it's required by law. To the day that the lawsuit was filed, the man was actually still working with children under the Salvation Army and was supervising a youth program. 20 years later after the fact, what the actual fuck? Now, I tried to find an update on this case, but unfortunately I have not been able to find it. Given the organization's history of drawing out abuse cases for decades, it's quite possible that this is still in litigation. So unfortunately, no update as of right now. But unfortunately, this is yet another upsetting example of the Salvation Army's history of ignoring instances of abuse from within. Sadly, it's probably safe to say we will see more of this as time goes on. It's just a gut feeling that I have. And as if their history of child abuse and LGBTQ discrimination was not enough, there's more because there always is. It's not just their clients that seem to suffer the horrible mistreatment from the so-called charity, but their employees too. We've already talked about how the Salvation Army treats their LGBTQ plus employees with a lack of understanding, care, or consideration for their well-being. They even allegedly fired an employee after it was discovered that she was bisexual, but it goes beyond that. In 2004, the NYCLU or the New York chapter of the ACLU resorted to suing the Salvation Army on the grounds of religious discrimination against their employees. According to the NYCLU, the organization had a string of deeply troubling requirements for all new employees, which included asking new hires to fill out a form that identified their religious identity and a list of all churches they attended for 10 years. Furthermore, new hires were required to sign a pledge that they would adhere to the religious mission of the group and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the record, this is the same supposed mission that claimed there was no such thing as same-sex marriage and found homosexuality to be an unforgivable sin. So right off the bat, this isn't looking good. Previously, they had individual mission statements which were secular for the social service units, but that all changed. Employees came forward who had worked for the group for decades, including someone named Anne Lawn, who had been working with them for 24 years. She told the NYCLU, I do not think my religious beliefs nor the religious beliefs of the 800 employees in social services for children are any business of the Salvation Army. And Anne is 100% right, they aren't. To the Salvation Army though, it seemed to be of the utmost importance. In fact, when one manager refused to answer the personal information of herself and her employees, she was allegedly harassed to the point where she eventually resigned. And you may be thinking, This all sounds very illegal and claps for you because you're right, it is very illegal. It is very much so illegal for federally funded entities to discriminate based on religion. And since the Salvation Army receives nearly $89 million in government money every year, they are very much so in that category. So yeah, in true Salvation Army fashion, this specific lawsuit took about a decade to reach a settlement agreement. 
They have every right to continue to practice and promote their religion, but are no longer permitted to discriminate against their employees based on their religion. It took 10 whole years to say, okay, yeah, I guess we won't break the law anymore. Isn't that just wonderful? Discriminating against their employees for religion and sexuality doesn't seem to be the only thing going wrong though. Apparently they also don't particularly love paying their employees either. Go fucking figure at this point. In just this year in 2022, they were hit with three different lawsuits in New York, Illinois, and Georgia for not paying their thrift shop employees a minimum wage. In fact, some employees say they were only paid a few dollars a week. Most of these employees happened to be clients of the Army's drug and rehab centers. So the people were most desperate for help and were getting paid the absolute least. Their work in the thrift shops was considered by the organization to be work therapy and clients within the centers were required to work a minimum of 40 hours a week while completing their programs. And these are some shocking numbers because sometimes this requirement came with a wage capped as low as $1 a week. Other times it was slightly higher at about $30 a week. So you wanna do the math? Let's do some math. 40 hours a week, $30 of pay per week. That's about 75 cents an hour. 75 cents, not even a dollar an hour. They weren't just paying below the minimum wage, they were barely paying them at all. Oh, and if people were unable to complete their assigned work, which often included lifting heavy furniture, operating machinery they were never actually trained on and repairing broken items, they were unceremoniously expelled from the program and their housing. So if all of that doesn't scream exploitation, I'm not really sure I know what does. If these programs were supposed to be helping people, if they were meant to assist people in getting back on their feet, then they would pay them for their labor. Not surprisingly, many who graduated from the program were left penniless when they returned to society. They were no better off than from before they joined. Now, how are people supposed to build a better life when they have nothing to build from? Avery Acker, one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit said, I participated in the ARC program to gain stability, but it did nothing to set me up for success after I left. Making only dollars a week meant that I left the program in no better shape than I had entered it. Meanwhile, the Salvation Army got months of my virtually unpaid full-time labor. I didn't deserve to be treated this way and neither do the thousands of workers in the ARCs around the country. And this has been going on for years. The Salvation Army had full-time employees who they paid well then people in the rehab centers who they paid nothing, breaking the law in the process. Obviously, since these lawsuits were just recently filed, they are currently in process and we're not gonna know the results for some time. Hopefully some sort of repercussions will come from this and the Salvation Army will stop exploiting labor from people who came to them for help. But the mistreatment of employees working for the organization seems to happen more than anyone could ever imagine, especially from a charity. One shelter had to be shut down after the employees walked out alleging years of bullying from the managers in Nebraska. Another shelter in Harrisburg was accused of horrific mismanagement. The shelter was falling apart, the pay was abysmal, and the staff was rarely trained on how to safely run a shelter. The church, the church, the church, the shelter means nothing to them. That's what one former employee said about their experiences. It seems when it comes to the Salvation Army that this is their consistent thinking. Sure, the organization has done some good, but they have also exploited and discriminated against people time and time again and hidden anything bad in the name of maintaining an image. The more you look, the worse it gets. And it's incredibly disheartening to see such a massive charity commit atrocity after atrocity with little consequences or changes to rectify their behavior. It's safe to say that we all hope for so much better, but it looks like that day may never come. 
So maybe this year we can skip giving to those little buckets and maybe for the rest of time because it's clearly not benefiting anybody. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I do really appreciate your time here with me. I know there's a million and a half things you could be doing during this holiday season, yet you're spending a couple minutes here with me. So thank you. And as always, if you wanna connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure to check out my Linktree link. It's got links to all of my social media, as well as any projects that I'm currently involved in. So again, thank you so much. I do appreciate it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.